Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, the joys and risks of being a pedestrian in California. Despite advocates' best efforts, pedestrian fatality rates are getting worse in the state at a time when the imperative to become less car dependent for environmental and health reasons has never been more clear. So how can we make walking or using a wheelchair to get where we need to go safer and more convenient? We want to hear your ideas, and we'll also hear what the state's doing to create the conditions that make you feel like you can ditch the car. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We all know walking or rolling to places instead of driving to them, the store, a friend's house, work or school, is good for our health, the planet, for building community. But being a pedestrian isn't exactly easy in many parts of California, or even safe. According to the state's Office of Traffic Safety, the problem of pedestrians being seriously injured or killed on roadways is going from bad to worse. We look at why as part of Forum's In Transit series and find out what the state is doing about it. We also want to hear from you. What conditions make you want to walk or use your wheelchair instead of drive? Did something unexpected ever happen when you did? You can tell us at KQED Forum on our social media channels. You can email forum at kqed.org. You can call us at 866-733-6786. And joining me now is our In Transit series partner, Ethan Elkind, director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, also host of the podcast Climate Break. Hey, Ethan. Hi, Mina. Great to be back with you. Great to see you as always. I also love that we are talking about this as a form of transit because being a pedestrian does feel like it's purest form, right? That's right. It's the original way that people traveled. Some people think that's why we're upright creatures because it helps us walk a longer distance and jog as well, though I know we're not talking about jogging. But that is really the the core way that people get around. And in a lot of ways, it's the most pleasurable for a lot of people, those who are able to walk. You get to experience the outdoors. You get to get some exercise. There's a lot of health benefits. So it's a great subject. Yeah, it's awesome. And so what is the coolest walk 
that you ever did that you'd normally drive? <laughs> well, I work at, at UC Berkeley, and I've actually walked from the city of Orinda over to Berkeley, going over the hills. And, you know, it's something you can drive in a few minutes if the traffic's not bad. But walking is really amazing. You're just seeing the topography change, seeing the fault uh, topography. For example, the Hayward Fault goes right through the Berkeley Hills. Uh, and it's just an amazing way to just see the landscape change, see the differences in the urban design. Uh, but just even walking around in my own community, the different communities I've lived in, running into people you know. And even if you don't know people that well, just having those daily interactions, just those short little hellos, it makes a big difference. I mean, the research shows us it makes a big difference to our emotional well-being. And I think when you take the time to walk, you have those opportunities for spontaneous interaction that you just can't get in other forms of transportation. Yeah, so many social benefits, so many community building benefits. You know, we had Ben Goldfarb on last week who was talking also about the way that we notice more things when we're out of the car. And actually, we can have a pretty inaccurate picture of our effect on wildlife, for Mm -hmm. example, when we're in the car and that you notice a lot more on the roadways in his case, he was talking about roadkill. Mm. But, um, but you know, I'd rather know the truth, right, than be completely oblivious to the impact I'm having when I'm in an automobile. You touched on this, but the health benefits, do you want to say a little bit more about what we're learning about just even, you don't even have to do 10,000 steps. Like you just walking a little bit each day can be really beneficial for your health. Absolutely. I mean, CDC does recommend 10,000 steps. That's <laughs> are commonly uh, talked about. But absolutely, every little bit helps. And when you're out walking, I mean, it's linked to improved mood, to reduce stress. You get in a little bit of an endorphin rush. But I also think those types of benefits of just understanding your community better, understanding things like how the landscape changes, topography. If you live in an urban area, you might notice shops that you never really noticed before. So I think uh, definitely that has a, a strong emotional benefit, but I also think just the research on the, on the physical benefit, it's really important that we get our blood flowing, that we get that little bit of exercise. And I think, you know, you get improved mood when you arrive someplace by foot, you know, generally speaking, unless something goes terribly wrong than, uh, than if you're just sort of whisked in a, in a mechanical tube or, you know, a car. Yeah, improved mood. That is so true. Well, Noel on Discord writes, San Jose's Viva Calle Open Streets event is a really good way to rediscover the urban landscape without a car. We went on our trikes and discovered a small Mexican restaurant, which was delicious. So many people, Ethan, realize the benefits of closed or pedestrian-only streets during the pandemic when cities like San Jose or San Francisco, L.A., Oakland, I think, implemented slow streets as well. Can you just remind us what those were, those those attempts to actually prioritize walkability and yeah. walking? Well, it's really about reclaiming the street space, the, the public space. I mean, we dedicate so much of our public space to automobile traffic. And during the pandemic, there was an effort to give people more opportunities for those kinds of exercise opportunities, spontaneous interactions. And so slow streets were closing down blocks uh, to through traffic. Locals could still drive, but it slowed down the traffic. So you had kids able to play out in the streets. Of course, in San Francisco and many other cities experimented with parklets and using parking spaces as places for people to eat or just congregate. And that's a that's a good example of having a more pedestrian-oriented feel, reclaiming that space and, and giving people the opportunity to feel safe. Because that's one of the key factors in terms of encouraging people to walk is the safety. It's a reason why a lot of people don't walk. I mean, there are multiple reasons, but safety is the most important thing that I think really the, the government and society as a whole is responsible for and and making sure people can get where they need to go safely and not worry about dangerous intersections or 
small sidewalks or lack of sidewalks. And that's something where I think we can certainly improve our, our designed built environment uh, yeah. to encourage more pedestrians. Well, Daniel on Discord writes, the one thing that keeps me from using sidewalks in Oakland are cars. There are tons of unprotected and unsignalized crosswalks that I wouldn't take unless I had to, but are often the fastest way somewhere. This is a disincentive for walking. I live near freeways and off-ramps, and speeding vehicles make me nervous. When I was younger, I was more cavalier about this, but as I start to age, I find myself more risk-averse. Walking should not be the domain of just the young and fearless. You know, I want to bring into the conversation right now Tim Weisberg. Tim Weisberg is Deputy Director in Public Affairs and Marketing at the California Office of Traffic Safety. Tim, thanks so much for coming on with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, you know, one of the things that I was struck by is that, you know, for all the reasons that Ethan and I are discussing, the state is promoting walking as a healthy, positive, social, you know, society building, essentially, alternative to driving. But at the same time, the Office of Traffic Safety is pointing out that walking is becoming increasingly dangerous. So as you're promoting it, it's becoming increasingly dangerous. Why? What are you seeing happening, Tim? It's very complex. There's a lot of issues at stake. You do have more people walking uh, and out, especially during the pandemic. We were all indoors. So more and more people were out walking and uh, participating recreationally. The, re- the reality is you just don't have the same protections as you do as as a driver and passenger. You don't have a seatbelt. You don't have airbags. You don't have a bumpers, right? And a lot of the roads were designed to move cars as fast as possible. As the, the person alluded to, being older and walking and being afraid, there's a reason. Just the difference between 32 and 42 miles an hour doubles the likelihood of somebody dying if they're struck by a car. So I think the the main factors are the the street design, more people out um, walking. The vehicles are also so much bigger. In fact, I think it was J.D. Power last year that said more than 80%, the highest ever of all new car sales is SUVs and trucks. And the issue with those with larger vehicles is where it hits a pedestrian. They're less likely to roll up onto the windshield. They're more likely to get hit on the upper part of their body and get pinned underneath the car. So bigger cars... Faster speeds, road design, a lot of issues, uh, underlying issues that are causing it. And there's no silver bullet. It's really perplexing and it's really astonishing the number of people that are that are struck and killed. And it is a crisis. Yeah. Numbers have gone up dramatically and it has gotten worse. So we want to encourage walking and biking, because there's also that climate aspect in addition to the health benefits, less emissions. This That's a high priority for the state, climate action. But at the same time, you need to make it safe and more walkable and bikeable. And the state is really making a concerted effort to expand those safe biking and walking options so people do feel safe and they should feel safe when mm-hmm. they're out there on the road. Yeah, that was such a difficult image to to hear you describing about the impact of bigger cars and also just the fact that people are doing what California would like to see. People are out more, and yet at the same time, there are all these other factors that are contributing to making the streets more more dangerous. Can you help us kind of wrap our minds around it in terms of numbers, Tim? Like how how bad is the issue right now? What are we seeing? We see stats of things like California having a higher pedestrian fatality rate than than most of the rest of the country. What are these numbers that, that we're looking at here? 
they're bad. And the most important thing is that transportation is about people. These are people. Every person has somebody that cares about them. So we talk a lot about numbers, but at the end of the day, these are people that we're losing. In 2021, more than 1,100 pedestrians were killed across the state. That was nearly 10% increase from 2020, which was still a little over 1,000 people. I mean, that's three people a day. It's it's astonishing. And since 2011, the deaths have increased nearly 60%. I mean, we were headed in the right direction when uh, after in the midst of the recession into 2010 and 2011, it was less than 700. I mean, it's still not a number you want. The only acceptable number is zero. But we weren't into a thousand. It, it's it, it's astonishing. It's tragic. And we got to do something about it. And we're doing everything we can to reverse that because we have to. We can't continue to see what we're seeing. Yeah. Well, this listener writes, I grew up on a narrow street next to the highway that was without any sidewalks. Cars tend to blaze down the street and there is low visibility. We almost never took walks in the neighborhood just because it was dangerous. I've always wanted to live in a walkable neighborhood. I mean, what a perfect representation of being car-centric versus people-centric, Ethan. No sidewalks. Yeah, I mean, the default for most city planners, most traffic engineers, is just to make things as easy as possible for drivers. And, you know, most people do drive, so that tends to be where the political support is. But the pedestrian infrastructure, the sidewalks, the things we need to do to keep people safe, it's often an afterthought. I mean, in my own community, I had a, a, a dirt shoulder on a road, and I wanted my kids to be able to walk into town. And it took me five years to get my city to just pave and put in a a curb there to protect people. And they've done other improvements that are just the default is making it easy for, for drivers. So part of the challenge here is that when you have cities making these decisions, the state doesn't have a, a necessarily a lot of authority. A lot of times it's local government, cities and counties that have the authority and make the decisions about how streets are organized. So that's that's a real challenge. We're talking about safety on our roads for people, not in cars, as well as the joys of walking or using a wheelchair, not using a car to get around. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation. What are the conditions that make you want to walk? What's the best thing that ever happened to you when you didn't use a car for a route that you normally drove? What keeps you from using sidewalks or being a pedestrian or getting around by walking or using your wheelchair you can email forum at kqed.org call us at 866-733-6786 or post your thoughts at kqed forum more after the break i'm mina kim support for forum comes from san francisco opera Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the joys and risks of being a pedestrian in the state of California. And here's a clip of a public safety message from the state's Office of Traffic Safety. There's a quiet battle happening on our streets. Pedestrians are acting indestructible. And drivers act like they own the road. They're both wrong. Be aware, be alert. Pedestrians don't have armor. A message from the California Office of Traffic Safety. And we've got Tim Weisberg with us from the Office of Traffic Safety, Deputy Director in Marketing and Public Affairs. We've also got Ethan Elkine, Director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley School of Law, our partner for our In Transit series. And we've got you, our listeners, asking us your questions, sharing us sharing with us your stories and also what the conditions need to be that make you want to walk more, which is so important for our health, for our society, for our planet. 866-733-6786, the number to call, email address forum at kqed.org. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, at KQED Forum. So Tim, that public service message, it, it sort of suggested that there's this convergence happening of both less alert pedestrians and more aggressive drivers. Are pedestrians more distracted these days? Is that something that OTS is noticing? I think the outsized role is going to be with drivers. They're the ones driving vehicles that weigh thousands of pounds. That wasn't an older campaign, but the message is still true, right? The pedestrians don't have armor. So we emphasize a shared responsibility in our most recent PSA that is currently running right now is about safety is sharing, safety is caring. The ideal scenario is having a complete streets, slow streets, separated bikes and pedestrians from traffic. That's the safest. But when they're interacting with each other, you do have to share the road. So I think that it's less about pedestrian distraction. And even if that's the case, you know, walking shouldn't be a death sentence. Right. And the onus is really more on drivers. So we really try to prioritize that in our message so there isn't any type of victim blaming because they're the ones that are vulnerable. And that's why we say vulnerable road user is because they are so much more you're so much more vulnerable as a pedestrian or bicyclist versus being inside a vehicle. But it's important to still keep that message that, you know, pedestrians need to exercise due care as well and be in places where they're more predictable. So drivers know how to how to interact around them. So that's really the the cusp of the message. But really, it's on drivers right now. Yeah. Well, this listener writes, add being disabled and the risks of being a pedestrian magnify. Another listener on the pedestrian front says, whatever happened to looking both ways before crossing the street? It seems that 90% of people never look for cars. But what are the safety tips that OTS says drivers should follow? What are the things that if the onus is really on the driver, right? What are some of the core things that we just need to remember or be reminded of? The most important is to just slow down. Please follow the speed limit. There's no reason to drive so fast on roads. That's the main thing. And that if you're in a restaurant or business district where there's a lot more people walking and biking, expect to have more interactions and just be really cautious uh, at stop signs and, and signals. And when a pedestrian is is crossing, you know, per, they have the right of way. Wait for them to cross. Um, that's really the most important thing is to uh, be be predictable and to to slow down and, and look out for pedestrians. 
Ethan, I know that cities were implementing this plan called Vision Zero to address the pedestrian safety crisis. Where is that at? How successful has that been? I mean, yeah. the idea being that zero pedestrian fatalities. Yeah, well, we've seen the numbers going in the wrong direction. And it's a it's a really important goal, but we're not seeing cities get anywhere close to achieving it. So within the cities that have tried to implement this... It's not working. Yeah, you still see a lot of pedestrian collisions, accidents, deaths, et cetera. And uh, it, this is tough because you do have a strong political and and funding momentum to trying to make things easier for, for drivers. Uh, you, and so you have these situations where it's much easier to have human error, driver error. And we don't design the intersections to be as safe as possible for pedestrians. We just we really don't have the priorities right here. And you see it in, in other cities where they've you know, they sometimes will shut down a whole areas of cities to automobile traffic entirely, or they'll, they'll limit the number of vehicles. We've talked about congestion pricing on this show, for example, a, a way to limit the number of vehicles or more, more enforcement for vehicles who are speeding, as Tim was, was describing. These are all steps that we would need to take if we really want to achieve Vision Zero. But at some level, it's ultimately going to be about the design of the urban landscape and, and how we're building housing relative to where people are trying to get to in terms of jobs and, and services. And as well as how we design the streetscape and are we going to prioritize all the lanes for automobiles or are we going to dedicate some lanes to things like transit and biking and and wider sidewalks and and calming the traffic through better speed enforcement and signals to drivers that they need to go slower. I mean, things like cobblestone streets, for example, you know, that makes a big difference. Tim, where in California are we seeing the highest fatality and injury rates for pedestrians or what types of environments? It's interesting to talk about the land use uh, space and the 15 minute city and having a truly more walkable city. It's places where there's a lot of sprawl. It's suburban areas, it's Southern California, high populated areas, the Bay Area, where to Ethan's point, you have to drive a lot of places. You can't just walk. The grocery store is a couple miles away or the main business area or where you work, you have to drive to. So it's really about designing an urban core that is more walkable where there isn't really a need for a car but when you have to use a car that's when you see a lot of spread out areas and it becomes difficult to create that environment that expands more and more biking and walking options so did i read right that rural areas and beach areas are especially of concern in terms of the rate i mean more people are walking at beaches a lot of people visit and in the rural areas even though there's less people, the the rates are higher and it goes back to the priority in a rural area. Everything is so spread out, a lot of unincorporated. We talked about no sidewalks. There's not going to be sidewalks. There's going to be a lot of two lane roads and no shoulders. So if people have to walk or or bike, they have more interactions with cars. Well, this is no rights. I find this issue so frustrating. There are all sorts of street modifications in places with no pedestrians and very little bike traffic. On the other hand, there are extremely poorly designed areas with no left turn lanes, park entrances that are not bike friendly or ADA accessible, areas with no sidewalks. Sadly, there are communities who are disproportionately affected. Right to I saw this stat that in the U.S., black pedestrians have a 65 percent higher fatality rate compared to white pedestrians. That's right. So when it comes to priorities, too, there has been historical disinvestment in certain communities. And it's sad that in this country, based on your race and socioeconomic background, 
you, you have it more against you and you're more at risk. And we're doing everything we can to, to change that, to provide investments in areas that were historically underserved because the issue too, when it comes to the design in those areas is it was it's passed through uh, the way they were designed and the way things were built. And they don't have the same biking and walking options, yet those are the very people that are more likely to to walk and bike and use public transit and not have cars. So equity is is should not be extra. It, it's a priority and we need to have safer roads and safer people in, in areas that for years and years have had disinvestment in their communities. Well, Sue writes, my lane, the sidewalk has been encroached upon by countless skateboarders, scooters, and cyclists. As an older pedestrian, I take my life in my hands these days. Everything is permitted and nothing is punished. Again, that's a little bit of the message earlier, just in terms of awareness as pedestrians or people who are not even in our cars Mm -hmm. as well. Um, So, Tim, there is this Go Safely movement that California launched in May. One of the things that's interesting about it is that you're soliciting feedback from a statewide survey. Can you just talk a little bit about what you're soliciting feedback about and and some of the results that you're getting, some of the responses you're getting? Yes, this is really a movement. It's really the main thing is to establish a strong safety culture, get people behind having safer communities, safe roads within their communities and for their families. So we asked a series of questions, just their perceived issues that they're seeing specifically in their community. Is it speeding? Is it impaired driving? Is it other lack of infrastructure Uh, and proposed actions? So we proposed some countermeasures. Hey, what do you think are some effective actions? If we give you a list of things that would you think would be effective in improving safety and we, we asked for zip code, we asked for, for demographic information, and the hope is that we're able to map and maybe see patterns and trends. The same people living in that area are identifying the same problems, and we could overlay the grant programs that we have and see where we could really implement some, some programs to address the issues that, that people are bringing up. At the end of the day, people know their communities best. They take pride in where they live, and they're going to have the best perspective, especially if being a a state agency, we're not going to know every community in the state. The other really important component is really to get people more engaged in traffic safety. So we are also asking for traffic safety champions. We really want people to be champions in their community. We can connect them with resources and support how to go to elected officials, how to join uh, maybe a local bicycle uh, safety committee in, in their community. You know, it starts at the grassroots level. That's where you really start to see that difference into what Ethan alluded to, where the state only has a certain amount of input and control when it comes to local control. But if you get community members engaged, interested, and provide avenues and actions that they can take in their community to improve road safety, you can build these champions and the ideas that that'll help prompt change from from the from the very local level. We're talking about safety and how to make the road safer for pedestrians in particular. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation. What are the conditions that make you want to walk? What keeps you from using sidewalks or being a pedestrian or getting around? 
in your wheelchair? What are your biggest concerns about not using a car to get around? What's one action that you think would be effective at making sure everyone can safely use our roads, which is kind of a version of a question in Tim's Go Safely survey, trying to solicit feedback about what could work well in your community so that they can better target their attention and their grants. You can email forum at kqed.org or post on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. Our social channels are at KQED Forum. We seem to be having a bit of a technical issue with our phones right now, so I encourage you, if you can, to try to comment online um, and You are, several of you, this listener writes, I walk from store to store in shopping areas, but parking lots are probably the least safe areas to walk. It's true, Ethan, we try to find ways to sneak in more walking by parking further away from, you know, where we're trying to go and those kinds of tips. But it is, I've just been saying to my kids regularly, the parking lot is like the street, treat it like the street. Absolutely. Well, actually, parking lots are where most of the car collisions happen. It's a really tight environment in most most parking lots. And I think this, this goes to that, that land use question. Are we going to, you know, have a society that's more organized around driving to a place, parking, and then and maybe then you can walk versus are there more things you can access within, as Tim referenced, 15-minute walking distance of your of where you live or, or where you work? And that is really about the urban design. But uh, but ultimately, I think that's that's part of the big the big part of the solution here because we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the risks of collisions with drivers. And of course, that's a really critical issue. But perhaps even more fundamental than that for most people considering whether or not to walk is, can they actually get where they need to go in a short distance? And if something is a f- number of miles away, walking is just really not going to be an option for most people. So that's why it's, it's really critical that we design our our the uses in our communities and where we're going are within an easy walking distance, including from transit as well. Well, Ethan, Tim was talking about gathering the data, presenting them to communities, local governments, to be able to help them plan better. Are you seeing more of an appetite to prioritize walkability in local governments? A, a, a little bit. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's more attention on it. I mean, we have we have just such a long way to go. But uh, but there is more awareness. There is more organizing. There's more advocacy around this. Why is it politically so hard? Typically? It's because most people drive. And so <laughs> and they vote on, on driving. And it's really hard to to turn that sort of, you know, political ship, basically. Um, it's not it also requires leadership. It requires elected officials to take some risks sometimes and, you know, basically say, look, we know a lot of people are driving, but, you know, bear with us. If we make this change, if we design our streets in a safer way, you're going to be more encouraged to walk. You're going to get all those benefits we talked about at the top of the show. I do think the state actually, there is a role for the state here, uh, even with local governments having control over the ultimate streetscape design, which is that the state does control a lot of the money that goes to transportation. And the state could put more strings on those dollars and make sure that local governments, those who are spending those dollars once the state grants the money, are thinking first and foremost around pedestrian and, and also transit as part of the, the pedestrian mix. So that, that's an area where I think the state could do more. But another challenge here, though, is a lot of cities and counties raise the money themselves now for transportation with sales tax measures and bond measures, et cetera. So uh, there's just there's a lot of people involved in the decision making. And I think it's important for people who care about this issue to organize and talk to their local officials or state officials and, and really make the political case that this is something that we need to make a shift on in California. 
Well, Craig writes, how is San Francisco's Vision Zero possible when the SF Chronicle just revealed a 97% reduction in traffic citations over eight years? If you drive or walk or bike in the city, you see horrible driving behavior that is getting worse. I love walking and biking, but I'm seeing so many close calls. Bikers who don't stop or intersections are a big problem, too. Do you think enforcement is the answer, Ethan? It's one of the solutions, for sure. I mean, just anything we can do to make sure people are you know, more aware they have to go slow. But ultimately, that's only going to get you so far. I do think you need physical changes to the to the environment. I mean, you know, things like uh, better crosswalks at, at busy intersections, flashing lights, speed bumps, you know, things like left-hand turn arrows are really important. You see a lot of collisions when drivers are making unprotected left-hand turns because they're looking at oncoming traffic. They're not looking for a pedestrian. Uh, but it's just, it's just dangerous out there. I almost got hit actually walking here to the studio. I was walking down the sidewalk and there's a driveway and a driver just came roaring out, you know, gearing up for looking at the street and Instead of looking at the sidewalk. So uh, enforcement can take definitely is something we should focus on, but it's going to take a whole range of solutions to truly make a safer environment for pedestrians. Well, I'm hearing we might have resolved our issue with the phone. So I'm going to see if I can get Paul in San Francisco on who's been waiting. Paul, thanks. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Uh, I'm a retired muni operator, and I can't count the amount of times people jaywalked in front of me in the middle of the street or, or walked in front of my bus against a light. Jaywalking is out of control here in San Francisco, and it's not about design when you purposely walk in the middle of the street against the light or where you're a parent and you've got two children and you'll tell them rush across the street so they can beat the light when a sign says don't walk. Pedestrians have a certain responsibility for safety here, and I never hear any advocates come out against dangerous jaywalking. And actually we had a a, 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 a Phil Tang made a law saying uh, Jaywalking is not illegal. It's yeah. just dangerous behavior. Well, um, yeah, I don't think you're probably you're probably a fan of that law based on uh, what you're saying there, Paul. But I would like to hear a little bit more about it, Tim, from you. I think this was Assembly Bill 2147, which was passed in January, that prohibits officers from stopping pedestrians for jaywalking unless there is an immediate danger of a crash. What do you think about that, Tim? That's exactly right. So it still is is not allowed if it's going to be a dangerous behavior. So it's it's not that it's been legalized. So that just and I think that the issue is that we need to provide a little bit more context for the reason why they may be doing that behavior. It may be because the bus stop that they're at, the the nearest light to cross is a half a mile away. There's underlying factors for reasons those behaviors are being done in the first place. And I think at the end of the day, yeah, you need to be responsible and exercise due care. But it's it's a person, too. And that's yeah. we haven't mentioned the safe system approach yet. But that but the reality is humans are going to make mistakes. None of us are perfect. And we need to have multiple layers of protection, the road design, more enforcement, better places to to cross, more predictable pedestrian behavior so that when one mistake happens, it's not resulting in a serious injury or death. So even if they're, you know, we're coming up on a break here, Tim, but let me have you hold your thought there and we will have more with Forum with Ethan and Tim. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence. 
June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about safety on our roads for people not in cars, as well as pedestrian-friendly infrastructure with Ethan Elkind, host of the podcast Climate Break, director of the Climate Program at UC Berkeley School of Law. We're also talking with Tim Weisberg, deputy director in marketing and public affairs for the California Office of Traffic Safety. And we're talking with you, our listeners, at 866-733-6786, at the email address forum at kqed.org, and at our social channels. We're at KQED Forum on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also reach us on Discord. Tim, just before the break, you were talking about uh, how the new assembly bill allows jaywalking or at least prohibits officers from enforcing jaywalking issues if they are not in immediate danger of a crash. But then you also reminded us, of course, that the the law does not protect a pedestrian if by crossing unsafely they cause a crash. So just to make that very clear, I, I do think, though, that it is important to just briefly remind our listeners what pedestrians' rights are, because they generally do have the right of way in California, right, Tim? Yes, they do. At any marked and unmarked crosswalk, they do have the right of way. So uh, it's it's really important to to understand that uh, as a as a pedestrian, but also just to to make sure that the the driver knows that it's a predictable behavior. And that's why it's really important if you can, even if it's if you can go to a, a signal or a marked crosswalk or crossing at a corner, if there isn't a crosswalk, it's more likely where drivers are going to expect pedestrians to cross. So that's why it's it's an important aspect to to keep that in mind, but also make sure that the driver sees you. A lot of times either wave or even pause to acknowledge a lot of times before I cross. And there's that that point where maybe the driver's about to go and I'm about to cross I just kind of wait there for just a second and the driver will either continue and not follow, give me the right of way, or the driver will kind of wave or acknowledge that he sees me, he or she sees me. So um, just that acknowledgement that they see you is also really important. Let me go to caller Tanya in Berkeley. Hi, Tanya. You're on. Oh, hi. So thank you so much for having me. And this is such an important show. I really appreciate you guys doing this uh, segment today. Um, I'm calling because I have a wonderful old friend who was my fifth grade teacher many years ago, over 40 years ago, who got hit by a car, a driver who um, couldn't see because they had been blinded by the sun. And so instead of stopping, they they ended up hitting my friend who is in her mid-70s. It's been nine months. She's now just starting to walk. And what's curious to me is that nobody from the small local town where she lives has checked in on her except for one lovely policeman three months later, the day that she got home from the hospital. So I really think that every local official, at least every mayor, should talk to every pedestrian who was hit so they can really understand the extent of these injuries, especially in our seniors. Um, These injuries are horrific. They're depressing. You know, they're painful. The amount of painkillers my friend has taken over the last nine months would blow you away. It's 
And I really think without these personal stories, they're not going to do the education they need to do for their local communities. And that education is vital. Thanks for my take, taking that call. Well, Tanya, thank you for sharing that story. I'm so sorry to hear that happened to your friend and so glad to hear that, that they are finally recovering. You know, this has kind of reminded me a little bit, Ethan, of a point that you've made before about just how driving can create, you know, just a more isolating environment for people. There is less interaction. There is less knowing your neighbors. And when incidents happen or natural disasters or emergencies, you know, we hear people say all the time that the key to recovery or people even knowing something terrible happened to you is is by having real communities where people know each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the more you're able to be out and about in your community, the more you develop those social ties. So, you know, someone like Tanya's friend there, you know, maybe is able to have more community involvement, more community support. And I definitely agree. I think if elected officials you know, heard more of these stories, I think that really points to the need to have more of that political organizing, those who care about a safe environment, letting it letting, uh, be known to their elected officials. But I also think we, we kind of dehumanize pedestrians in a way. I mean, just calling pedestrians pedestrians puts them in like a separate class i mean mm. those are people who are just out walking you know none of us think of ourselves i'm now a pedestrian because i'm out yeah. walking we're, we're we're people and when you're driving it's easy to feel uh disconnected you know from the humanity of the people around you i mean you see that in the behavior people yelling at each other through the car saying stuff you know they never would say if they were in person but the car gives you that sort of ability to wall yourself off and, and including maybe not taking as seriously the risk you're posing to those on foot when you're behind the wheel let me go to James in San Francisco next. James, you're on. Hey, what's going on? Um, this is such an interesting and important uh, topic and conversation. I was trying to explain to the lady who was who was screening me for my comments that um, I think Milbray, if, if you haven't been down to Milbray, Milbray has installed something that I think is absolutely genius. They have this uh, system where if you push the crosswalk button, it becomes an actual traffic light signal. So uh, there are places where if you push the button, it just flashes yellow. People don't stop for that, but they stop for red lights. So Milbury has it right on that one. But the second part that I wanted to mention is, you know, when uh, the last caller who just mentioned, you know, how they uh, people don't treat each other uh, nicely when it comes to crossing roads, there are some places such as Sausalito where uh, pedestrians tend to just walk out in the street with zero regard for any traffic coming, even though they're in the crosswalk. So there, there's a cultural difference, especially when there's so many tourists coming from places who, don't, who aren't familiar with the culture here, people just walking out in the street. Mm. And I've seen so many close calls. Mm. And, you know, I, I wish that more places would implement, you know, uh, better solutions uh, for pedestrian crosswalks because it's not safe. And I, I hope that more places get on, on board with e-bikes and, you know, places... Uh, things that are electric that we didn't have 20 years ago. We couldn't, we didn't have these electronic devices and mobile transportation that we can just whip out of our car, out of our backseat or out of our closet. You know, we are really advancing and I hope that we continue to make sure that people's safety is our number one priority. Well, thanks, James. Let's talk about fixes. James is mentioning that Melbray is doing something effective. What are the things that we're learning, Ethan, that are effective in terms of infrastructure changes or fixes and so on? Well, we mentioned a few of them on, on the show, but I mean, there's, there is sort of a laundry list of things. I mean, a lot of it is about things like those flashing lights at pedestrian intersections, making sure that you have crosswalks even identified, things like speed bumps. Some cities have experimented with the idea of a sort of a pedestrian head start, where basically you get that 
uh, walk signal before the cars are able to go in parallel. So you don't have to worry about cars making right-hand turns, for example, into pedestrians. Uh, I I mentioned the left-hand turn arrow uh, can also help uh, road diets in general. We call them road diets where you sort of shrink the uh, amount of space for cars. And ultimately, I think there's safety in numbers here. Uh, You know, James just mentioned the tourists, you know, and, and you've got you know, maybe random people kind of darting in and out. But when people are driving in areas where they know that there are a lot of people on foot, they will know to drive slower. They'll know to be on the lookout. It's often when they don't expect someone to be on foot at a place where you you might see a, a greater likelihood of a collision. So I think the more that we encourage walkability, the more we build apartment buildings and ground floor retail and as opposed to big parking garages and driveways the more we have a pedestrian focused built environment the more you're going to see people out and about in the numbers that will also bring safety and it's also related to crime as well it's another reason why people might be reluctant to walk if they're worried about crime but the more people that are out and about on the streets the more safe people feel they feel like there's someone there in case they're in in distress or they need help so i do think safety in numbers is a, is a big part of it but also those basic infrastructure changes to the to the street environment, the built environment. And that does take money and it takes leadership, but it really has to get done if we truly want to have a safer environment for people who walk. Tim, is there anything you would add to Ethan's list there in terms of things that we can do infrastructure-wise? Definitely the lead pedestrian intervals. In fact, that's a new standard for any new um, streetlights that they, they have the lead pedestrian interval. That is really helpful, especially to reduce that impact on the the right-hand turn, pedestrian gets a head start. So by the time the driver thinks about making that right turn, the pedestrian is is in front of them and out of the way. I would also say just the bigger intersections having, and this really goes back to mobility too, is having um, the the refuge islands. If you're having to cross a four or five lane road and having that in-between safe space, Mm -hmm. if they can't cross, uh, there's an intersection right outside my, I live in suburbia, suburban Sacramento, and the it could take me 20 seconds, and I'm a fast walker to cross eight lanes of traffic. So having that refuge island is really important as well and a safe space to, to have that break for people with mobility issues. Well, Jeff writes, make walking safer with street design by moving parking from the curb to the center lanes of a street. A proper street layout would be sidewalk, then bike lane, then driving lane, then parking with a mid-street walk island, then driving lane, etc. So... Jeff is definitely on board with what you're saying here. Another listener writes, I'm a dog walker and I spend about four hours a day driving through San Francisco and I'm surprised I don't see more pedestrians hit by vehicles. Pedestrians continually cross streets when they are not supposed to. They cross when vehicles have a green light. They casually walk out into traffic as if it is their turn, forcing vehicles to have to stop on the middle of intersections. As a driver, I am terrified. I am going to kill a person who dangerously crosses streets. And Chris writes... About six years ago, I had to stop driving for medical reasons. At first, I was incredibly frustrated. But in the end, it was a gift. I started walking to pretty much everything, appointments, errands, meetings. I found with a little planning, it was easy to get to where I needed to go on foot. San Francisco is a relatively small city, and I can get to most places within an hour. I'm now able to drive again, but I only use my car rarely It's really been life-changing for me. Are there specific ways the state is trying to incentivize being a pedestrian, walking, using your wheelchair, Tim? 
Or actually, Ethan, you sounded like you wanted to add something. There. Sure. Well, I would love to hear Tim on this too. But I, I mean, Tim referenced our, our climate goals in the state. And we also have separate mobility goals. We're trying to reduce the amount of miles that people have to drive their vehicles. So there's been a, a number of efforts around those uh, around those goals. And a lot of it does boil down to funding. And so the state has increased funding for things like uh, pedestrian infrastructure, as well as bike infrastructure and, and transit too. I mean, transit is a big... Uh, encourager, basically, of, of walking. Because if you take transit, you're usually already on foot, and you're probably going to be walking at least one end of your transit trip. Uh, so there is there is more money going in, in these directions, and that's important. But the other piece of it, too, is that we have, we have to make it easier to, to deploy this infrastructure. If it costs a lot of money, if it takes years to plan and, and permit this infrastructure, that's also going to be a disincentive. So I do think there's more of a role for the state to make it easier to get these these projects deployed, in addition to dedicating more funding to it. Because good, good bang for the buck, you know, in terms of reducing emissions and also saving people money on, on transportation costs. Anything you'd add about incentives, Tim? Uh, absolutely. Going to reducing vehicle emissions. There's a lot of credits uh, that are provided as an incentive to, say, get an electric vehicle or to to bike. But also, I would say what's really important, too, to Ethan's is the is transit, is is making it more more walkable and access to transit. So, uh, the state transportation agency, which is our agency above us, has re- dedicated about four billion um, through SB one twenty five uh, for regional transportation planning agencies to use to and fund transit operations and capital improvements. So we recognize this is a a priority yeah. to have more better more and better access to to public transit. There's so much joy possible in being a pedestrian in California. This happens to be a fundraising period for many public radio stations. I'm Mina Kim, and you are listening to Forum. Well, Paul asks, aren't accidents mostly due to driving while texting? It's become totally normal to be on your phone while driving. How big a problem do we know that that's become? Well, I I know that this is, I mean, you see this anecdotally, anyone who's out and about, you see everyone's really stuck to their phone. I mean, I, you know, I'm on the campus at UC Berkeley. It's hard to see a student unless they're with their friends glued to their phone as they're, as they're walking. The same thing with driving, Uh, you know, definitely be careful when you are around a high school and the new drivers, because they're still, you know, stuck on their phones while they're they're trying to drive. So this is definitely a major problem. It's almost an epidemic really, but this is, I think has contributed to a lot of uh, accidents and collisions. And it's part of why we have to be even more vigilant and design those systems, like Tim was referencing, to be as safe as possible to guard against this this human error. So we're not, you know, that's not our only line of defense is just asking people to pay attention. But we actually have a series of systems in place to make it really hard for people to be on their phone when they're either walking or driving. This listener writes, I walk a lot here in West County and have noticed an increase in fast and aggressive driving. It seems people are more tense and ready to blast off or scoot into a non-existent lane to make their way. Is there evidence that road rage has gotten worse? Any evidence of that, Tim? I Remembering that yes. in the PSA, it said something like drivers feel like they own the road. Is there actual evidence that it has gotten worse? Unfortunately, and it's interesting. So speaking of through Ethan with their UC Berkeley is we we have we work a lot with the Safe Transportation Research and Education Center and every year they put out a traffic safety survey and we actually added a question during COVID to ask have you noticed any significant behavioral change since the onset of the pandemic an overwhelming majority was road rage aggressive driving uh, anecdotally there's there's a lot of evidence to indicate um, it's becoming a bigger problem I think that it goes also to this technology now and and just people's impatience i mean if my computer doesn't start 
in five seconds or there's my, my web browser takes more than six seconds. I'm like, what is going on? Why is it so slow? So I think that there's a sense of urgency and that's why we really emphasize, take a breath, count to five, take a step back. We need to think more about convenience versus inconvenience. And if we just treat everyone like it's our closest friend or family, I know it's easier said than done um, and create this culture that prioritizes safety we should see less of this problem, but, and that's where it goes back to this renewed sense of care we should have for one another. Another what should make a real difference. Well, Petra asks, in many instances, cars are allowed to park so close to the intersection that the pedestrian has to step off the curb even to be, even to see whether a car is coming and vice versa. The driver can't see the person hidden behind a parked car. What about painting more zebra stripes to remind a driver that there is a crosswalk and a person could be in it? Tim? Yeah, that's that, that, especially in an urban core, uh, urban places like San Francisco or even in Sacramento in the midtown area by downtown. I think the, the easy solution is to, to discourage parking on the corners like that and make it, make it like a fire lane and make it a non parking area. Um, that way you can increase that visibility on corners. And it's also an education to drivers that they shouldn't avoid parking on corners like that for that very reason. Here's a listener who is talking about, I think, something similar around islands and the need for them. This listener writes, our infrastructure is often not senior friendly. For example, crosswalks do not allow enough time for slower walkers who are typically seniors. I noticed this last weekend as I waited for an elderly couple to cross, but it took them longer than the amount of time the light allotted for them. I, of course, waited, but a car next to me did not, and it created a close call. A listener writes, as I told my kids growing up, the logic of physics outweighs the laws of the road. I grew up in the Oakland Hills where there aren't sidewalks and we were taught to walk against traffic. It seemed common sense and something everyone knew to do. That seems to be a bit of forgotten knowledge. So many of the issues we talk about, Ethan, require major shifts in infrastructure, but also in our thinking. But in the meantime, one of the things that I feel like I've heard you and Tim consistently bring up is that we can just care a little bit more about each other. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I think a lot of this in some ways boils down to just how patient we are and how stressed we're feeling. I mean, I've heard studies that when people are in a rush, they're much less likely to stop and help someone in distress. I mean, they've done experiments on this. So part of it, you know, people are busy. They have to be busy in some cases. We have a lot of demands on our time. But I think part of the joy of walking is going a little bit slower and appreciating the moment and feeling like you have the time to walk, that you're not rushed. You don't have to stress. And when people feel like they're under stress, they're going to be much less charitable to those who are on foot. Yeah, it's all interconnected. Ethan Elkine, Director of the Climate Program at the Center for Law, Energy, and the Environment at UC Berkeley. Always love having you on. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And thanks, Tim Weisberg of the California Office of Traffic Safety. Really great to hear your data and insights. Thanks for having me. Go safely, everyone. And listeners, thank you. Your stories, your questions, your advice. We always appreciate it on Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.